The following is the fourth episode of the Philip Deterrent podcast, where I interview my friend Thomas Hall, who's a bioinformaticist. It's a very difficult word to say, but that's basically information technology mixed with genetics. So he investigates genetics at a very granular level using computer power. Uh, and it's a, it's a very interesting uh, career to pursue. And uh, it's something that, again, not a lot of people know about. And, but Thomas is really one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. Uh, he has a lot of very valuable opinions. Uh, we had a great conversation, partly about his research and also partly about politics. It just ended up being a, a capitalism versus socialism debate. But I do think it's quite a constructive debate. And uh, I think he's got some interesting points. I have some interesting points. And uh, I really highly recommend uh, watching it, you know, both for the biology and for the politics, right? I really don't think it's a, it's boring. I think it's very accelerating. And uh, I really, I'm looking forward to what you think of the episode. I think it's very interesting. We'll probably interview him again. But uh, thank you again for bearing with me on uh, the intro. And I apologize sometimes when I really interrupt Thomas. Uh, I'll try to not do that again. I definitely take guilt for that. So again, thank you for watching the intro. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, hello. Hey, how's it going? Very well. Nice to see you again after two years. Exactly yeah. two years? Yeah, it's around that. Yeah, I mean, the last time was uh, the computational symposium, which is happening, uh, well, it happened like two weeks ago. So, yeah, it's about then. And how have the two years been? Um, <laughs> it's been as good as you could imagine, I suppose. Um, oh, really? Did you get well, married? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't get that. But, um, uh, you know, I, I managed to get the, the doctorate um, finished uh, during COVID, which, uh, as anyone tell you, it was a bit of a challenge. But um, otherwise, you know, it's okay. Been staying indoors for most of the time. How about you? Um, last two years, I think fantastic. Uh, I feel like uh, right now I'm kind of on an exponential function of happiness. Uh, so wow. I feel like I, <laughs> I really feel like it's taken off. Uh, I'm I really feel like a currently dream life or very nearly dream life so fantastic a lot has happened uh, obviously with tree nation we've been making incredible progress um i have a really awesome girlfriend and she's coming to live <laughs> with me in, in barcelona um and uh and, yeah, I, and i live in barcelona my linkedin might say dublin but actually i live in barcelona now um so yeah i mean there, there's frankly there's a lot more uh, but I think this is a, uh, you know, it's good for now. We can, we can talk about all the other details, uh, you know, any other time. Uh, but, uh, so for the listeners, you know, who are not in on our little personal uh, relationship here, uh, tell us about yourself, tell us who you are, what do you do? Why do you do it? Okay. Well, hi, I, I'm Tom. Um, I'm a, uh, postgraduate researcher, um, in university college, Dublin. Um, my PhD is in, uh, in, computational infection biology. So I'm a computational biologist. And uh, what I'm interested in is the relationship between uh, a host and uh, the pathogen that's uh, infecting it. And my air, my specialization is the host response to um, mycobacterial species. So these are the causative pathogens of uh, tuberculosis, um, either in cattle, which is bovine tuberculosis or humans. Uh, which is just normal tuberculosis. Um, so uh, I, I study a lot. Uh, essentially, what my work revolves around is uh, we use technology to essentially take a snapshot of the cell uh, when it's infected. The cells that I look at are these things called macrophages, uh, which are immune cells, very powerful ones. Um, and using those snapshots, uh, I can generate um, 
results usually in the area of what we call systems biology, uh, which is instead of looking at uh, one or two genes, we look at all genes uh, as a system and try to work out what systems are employed um, to fight the disease. And working out those systems, we can then uh, work out what's important uh, to those systems and perhaps improve uh, not only um, animal resistance to disease, which is my primary uh, area of research, making resistant disease-resistant animals, increasing animal happiness and welfare, um, but also potentially uh, discovering targets for human therapy because how cows respond to bovine uh, um, tuberculosis is very similar to how we respond to human tuberculosis. Um, and yeah, that, that's essentially it. We can get into more detail later, I suppose, but that's, mm. that's the, the, the crux of it. Sounds incredible. Uh, my God, we will we can like uh, discover a lot of things about uh, just actually digging into this and seeing how people react. I mean, with a non-scientific background, it would be really fascinating to see. Yeah, because it, it's really cool to have somebody that has such a esoteric understanding of something so important and have that kind of explained on a on, on a podcast like like here so maybe it will take a while but uh I, I think we should dig through it and i would love to understand it i think it's a really really big deal but i think before we go into science i'd be very interested in why so why is it that you went down this path in the first place and let's start let's start really early so i'm interested to know maybe a bit of <laughs> your little backstory of um why did you end up going into science and how, or, or biology specifically, and how did that lead you to studying tuberculosis uh, that you do today, like you do today? Um, so uh, the actually getting into biology was uh, my father. Um, so he's a lawyer and uh, I realized that I definitely didn't want to do that after watching him do it. Um, so uh, when Why? I was- why? <laughs> uh, we, I'm interested. We, we can get that into that later, but uh, frankly, it's just um, it just wasn't my cup of tea, put it that way. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, and I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was very into art, um, and video games, lots of different things. I like science as well, particularly biology. But uh, as I finished my leaving cert, the summer of finishing my leaving cert for the listeners, that's my final year in secondary school in Ireland. Um, we had a big trip planned, he and I, um, to uh, Peru. Um, and we hiked to Machu Picchu and we also went to the Amazon. And part of that trip was to try and work out what I want to do and where I want to do it. And um, we were sitting in one of the huts in the middle of the Amazon one evening and he said that I should do zoology. And I was wondering, why is that? And he said that, you know, I was maybe 17 at the time, that when we entered the sort of compound that we were staying in the middle of the jungle, uh, there was a foot tarantula um just to the left of the path quite bit toxic venomous sorry um and beautiful creature you know you, you could see it just kind of outside its hut at the time and what happened was uh, everybody kind of veered right around the foot tarantula but instead of that not only did i kind of investigate it but then anytime anyone new came to the compound i would take them to see the foot tarantula because i just thought it was so interesting and everybody else should see it um so he just said that if you take that kind of enthusiasm uh, into the sciences and study animals, uh, I think it would be really good for you. And he was right about going into the sciences. He was unfortunately wrong about zoology. I did a few modules in it, um, and I realized that it wasn't for me. Why? Um, honestly, I, I don't know. Um, I felt that 
I, I love animals uh, very much, but I love them from, uh, I think, a position of uh, not studying them and just enjoying the biology as it is, rather than mm -hmm. having all these stats and uh, quantification that comes around uh, zoo uh, zoology and studying it and doing it for a living. Um, I think also, like, I'm much more interested in entomology, the study of insects. You can't see it, but behind that blue canister there is a ant farm I have um, oh, been growing now for the past six months. Very nice. <laughs> so I, lo I love uh, I love that, but it's more of a hobby. Um, mm -hmm. But as I was doing my degree in UCC, which is University College Cork, um, I realized that actually I don't like the macrobiology, I like the microbiology, and I went into microbiology, particularly um, in UCC. Uh, it's mm -hmm. the area of studying uh, bacteria. That's the main focus. Um, and and then I got sorry, Tom, and for the oh. audience, what is the difference between micro and microbiology? Because the audience probably won't know. Oh, sure. Sorry. Um, it's uh, so essentially the easy way to put it is what can you see with your eye? Um, we can't really see bacteria, uh, even harder time seeing viruses. Um, there is one bacteria you can see with your eye, a green sulfur bacteria, I think it's called. But other than that, they're invisible to us. Uh, whereas macrobiology, you can see an elephant pretty far away. So um, that's that's a, a very quick and dirty way of separating the mm -hmm. two. Um, so, uh, and then I, I, I like, I like computers and, uh, uh, IT, uh, the setup here that I have now is something I've built from scratch and I just wanted to combine microbiology with computer science and what that field is called bioinformatics. So that's the mm -hmm. use of computer science. Um, a very quick and easy way I can explain bioinformatics is, and you know, this sure, I think mm -hmm. I taught you this, um, is that, uh, uh, in biology, we have what's called wet lab and dry lab. So wet lab mm -hmm. is all the people you see in photos with the lab coats and the, you know, test tubes. And it's, it's very much like that. Um, but dry lab is that kind of experimentation, that study, but on computers. Mm -hmm. And why that's important is, let's say, uh, Philip, you're an expert in bulldozers, hypothetically. Uh, yes, you know I how am. much <laughs> realistically also <laughs> yeah I can, of course i can tell you know um so uh i i give you an excel sheet and uh you know how bulldozers generally sell for so i say philip i have this excel sheet there's 10 bulldozers and uh five features so 10 in rows five in columns right. and i i ask you um can you work out what these 10 bulldozers will sell for so in the columns you see uh, what engine it is uh, what year they were made etc you look at these 10 and you know a lot about bulldozers so you work out exactly how much it costs for so i say great job philip um here is a excel file um with fifty thousand bulldozers and 150 columns um many of the and many of the data points are incorrectly um listed so Not some have you know the year it was made was color red stuff like that mm -hmm. and i ask you to do the same thing um you can't do that with your eyes you can't do that in a human way um so just replace that with genes and biological samples and mm -hmm. it's essentially identical so that's what bioinformatics is it's the application of computer science to these big huge data sets that we can't work out uh, in mm -hmm. a normal human way and uh yeah that's what i did for my masters and then i went to work in tagus which is an irish research center usually focusing in agriculture and microbiology and then the place I was working in had a thousand, oh, sorry, 1700 cattle. And uh, I was working on bovine genomics and I fell in love with the work. I fell in love with um, animal welfare and science geared towards, uh, you know, just making their lives easier from an agricultural mm -hmm. perspective. 
Uh, and here I am six years later, still doing it. And I, I don't have any plans to change. So yeah, that's okay. me. Mm -hmm. Well, extremely interesting career path. Um, I think uh, <laughs> one I think that not many people even know about uh, that, you know, that you can, that there's this wet lab, dry lab uh, part of biology. Personally, you know, I've, I've done obviously science in UCD. I absolutely hated wet labs and I, I still do. And I hated them in secondary school. I always hated them. And that's what really pushed me away from science. I'm just the, the, the worst person possible for a wet lab. But dry labs, I think, I think are very interesting, right? I, I think dry labs, you know, personally, um, it's something that <laughs> no, nobody, I think, imagines that that is like what a biologist may do, right? Mm. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? Like, do, do you get, when people think, do you tell people that you're a biologist? Like, how, how do you, how do you explain to your layperson exactly like what it is that, that you do and what kind of assumptions do they come up with? So, I mean, usually I use the, the bulldozer technique that usually clicks for non-scientific people. I usually have to explain it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I, was, uh, I was told that by a friend of mine, but um, mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, usually I have to explain a bit more to other scientists. Um, so scientists that haven't uh, encountered this before. And even in biology, uh, you do encounter that sometimes. And I think there definitely is um, sometimes a perception that it's not real experimentation or it may be a bit less though so than the uh, experimental side um the truth is is that i think it's probably a harder job to do wet lab um it's definitely without question more physically demanding and it can be more cerebrally demanding as well but one thing i think both sides now can't dispute is that one now needs the other um and that's simply because we're producing so much data now um, uh, you know, terabytes upon terabytes upon terabytes. It's no longer, you know, kilobytes of data. So uh, the, the the wet side understands that you can't interpret the results without the dry side. And the dry side understands that you can't get results without the wetland people generating the data. So it's, um, I don't have to explain myself as much anymore. It's kind of evening out a little bit. I see. So now I think this is a really important question. Um, for a lot of the listeners that might not have a scientific background, right? I think this is, frankly, considering what's happening today with you know vaccines and uh, the outrage around it and, and all these uh, negative remarks going towards science, what I would like you to explain to the audience um, is the basically where we are at in terms of understanding the data sets and when you refer to the data sets you're referring to genetics right so can you explain where we are at in terms of how much data there is how much data we understand and what are we doing to make progress because I just before i let you speak i want to speak to the audience is that science what i love about science right i'm very very supportive of science is the fact that you can be wrong uh, within science. And the, the, the point is that you can always be wrong about science because science is just hard. The universe is hard and it is super complicated and super difficult to understand. But people like Tom are doing, are doing their best. So tell me, Tom, how far along are we on the general project of understanding everything? Oh, wow, that's a big question. Um, so first of all, very kind. Um, and I, I, I completely agree with your testament there that um, it is all very, very, very complicated. Um, so I, I will in focus purely on the, the, the gene side of things. Um, in terms of how much data we have, enormous amounts of data. Um, uh, it's difficult even to sort of um, comprehend, but uh, exabytes upon exabytes upon exabytes, you know, it's it, it, it's huge um, because even taking what, like I said, one of those snapshots, uh, snapshots. So, you know, um, 
a time point when cells are infected, let's say they've been infected for 24 hours, we take a snapshot of those cells. That will produce, depending on how many samples you have, uh, terabytes of data. That's one experimental condition at one time point for one experiment. And there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of experiments. So it, it, it's a lot. Um, in terms of where we are under, at understanding it, uh, not very far. We have tons to go. Um, uh, and I speak purely from the position of a systems biologist. Uh, you can take an individual gene and you can study it um, uh, quite well uh, in terms of what that gene does. And a good way that we do that is we take the mouse model, uh, which is very similar, obviously, to humans or the, um, uh, the fruit fly. Um, and we knock out one of those genes and then we see what effect it has uh, on the organism. Um, so that's a good way of doing it one by one. But from a systems biology perspective, all of these genes working in tandem. Exactly. Um, it, yeah, it's we have a long way to go to understanding it generally and even further to go to understanding it individually. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is especially uh, pertinent when it comes to the mutations that an individual has uh, in a given gene. You and I have different mutations, not a lot. Um, but that's why we look different. That's sometimes how we act uh, different or sound different. And those mutations can have uh, huge downstream effects. Um, this is what we call uh, the notion of pleiotropism, where one gene uh, can have um, many different roles in, at different times. It's not just one gene for one thing. Uh, and mm -hmm. this is especially uh, important when it comes to immunology. So understanding what a gene does and understanding what a gene does for an individual, uh, we've got so far to go, long way. And I want to say why, because I, I recently learned uh, something in mathematics. Uh, I use Brilliant, you know, just to kind of upskill myself. I don't know if you know Brilliant. It's a great app. It's for studying STEM. You know, like, like it's an app that all you do is solve problems. You, you don't watch any videos, you just solve problems. And I learned something about permutations, uh, which blew my mind completely completely blew my mind right and it was an example and if anybody here um knows about i highly recommend you download it and then if you start doing uh, computer science uh, fundamentals you'll run into this problem and it's basically it starts off with a bridge in Konigsberg. did you ever hear of this do you know what oh, Konigsberg is is this the um uh, traveling salesman uh problem uh, it has to crossing the bridges without going Yes, how many, com how many combinations there are. So, yeah. hey, anyway, so you get it, but let, let me explain it, right? So for the audience. So basically, when you have just seven bridges, right? And it, it, this is a real place, Konigsberg. It's very close to Poland, actually. Um, you, the, the, the question is, how many uh, can you cross uh, all the bridges without crossing uh, one twice, right? And then basically, it asks you how many combinations uh, in terms of which bridge you cross first can you do right and just to show you all of the possible kind of um permutations or all the possible ways to solve the problem and then and this is for like seven bridges and then they take it to another example which is like a, a city in the us which has something like 473 bridges and they basically show you if you were to illustrate basically true uh, what what is it called in computer science brute force when you try to solve a problem by just like trial and error like trial and an erroring basically every single combination if you were to do a trial and error experiment over those bridges in america when you have 40 473 bridges 
every single combination of ways you could cross, cross all those bridges, you would have like more combinations than there's atoms in the universe. And this is just 473 bridges, right? So when it comes to the genes, how many genes are there in like one, in one human being? Oh, uh, human being between 22 and 25,000, I think. I don't work with humans, um, but in uh, well, humans that much. Um, in the bovine genome, there's 30,574 genomic features. So that includes genes, microRNAs, lots of different bits and pieces. So you would need something like uh, a couple of thousands of universes and have basically all of, all of those atoms. That's how many combinations there could be of genes. And the reason why this is important, right, is because you know genes have different uh, relationships with each other, as you just said, right? So the point is that using brute force uh, and testing out basically doing an experiment and, and changing a gene um, basically per experiment, we would have to do more experiments to understand the whole genome uh, than there is atoms in the universe. Is that correct, using brute force? Uh, using brute force, that, that might be correct, but luckily we don't have to do that um, mm. because uh, we what we can do is basically contextualize the genomic function. Um, so uh, let's take a, a gene tumor necrosis factor. You can test its combination, and I've done uh, studies like this, where you see how it works with every other gene and every sort of combination. We're talking about trillions and trillions and trillions of comparisons. But uh, because we know a lot about this gene, we kind of know what things it's going to be involved with and what genes it may interact with based on its biological function. So you can actually rule out a lot of those mm -hmm. hypothetical combinations because we know it won't work with genes that say that are olfactory or nose genes. I mean, mm -hmm. someone yeah. might correct me there, but as far as I know, that's not the case. Um, so our biological context and understanding that we're constantly building uh, on uh, starts to narrow uh, the playing field um, and we were able to infer um, combinations and functions a lot easier than we used to. And like I say, it's something that we build up. And as you said very astutely, um, in science, uh, and some of the people in the public don't seem to think this, but in science, we are very much open to being wrong. That is part of it. Um, and that's the world of genetics is very much, uh, very much works like that, where we might have a particular function for a gene. It might be part of a family, but new experiments come out, new data comes out, and we realize that that combination doesn't quite work. But actually, this combination uh, makes a lot more sense. So we can brute force it, but we're kind of getting closer to the place where we might not actually have to do that anymore. Okay, big kind of potential tangent, but super interesting. What do you think about adding quantum computers into bioinformatics? I'm super interested. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Would it help? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it would. Um, I can't possibly conceive about uh, the um, advancements uh, quantum computing could make, um, particularly to uh, prediction of protein function, even though we've had a huge breakthrough about with that recently, um, uh, about brute forcing some of these combinations, the uh, application of machine learning um, and, uh, on high dimensional data, uh, which we're all already doing, but having essentially limitless uh, computer resources would make that a lot faster, a lot better. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be enormous, whatever application it has. Um, you know, it's just got to turn up. <laughs> you know, it's. Uh, I, I was hearing about quantum computing, um, showing my age now, but about 28 years ago. So, um, mm -hmm. 
you know, it's uh, when when it turns up, I'll be able to answer that question a bit better. Um, what I'm seeing some really good advancement in is uh, this might be a bit boring for your audience now, but it's kind of a break away from uh, CPU based computing and mm -hmm. GPU graphics cards uh, mm -hmm. based computing. There's been a lot of movement from in biology uh, from one to the other, particularly with the application of machine learning. And yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's, there's some really good stuff going on there, which is a problem because we can't buy any GPUs at the moment. But uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we'll get past that one day, hopefully. Yeah. And okay, so let's go. Let's go specific now. Let's talk about your research. So, tuberculosis. Why tuberculosis? Did you pick it? Did somebody did somebody pick it for you? What was your kind of journey? Uh, within, let's say, uh, college-level science that brought you to tuberculosis? Well, I think like any PhD student, I had done certain things that contribute to a CV where a, re a project research manager kind of looks at it and says, okay, he's done this, this, and this, or she's done this, this, and this, and they would be suitable uh, for this project. So my supervisors, uh, Professor David McHugh and Stephen Gordon, who are excellent, um, brilliant to work with, uh, never a problem in six years. Um, uh, they had a, a, this huge grant uh, to study uh, the host pathogen interaction uh, in tuberculosis. I was working with an old colleague of theirs on bovine immunology, and he sent over my recommendation. I went in for an interview and I got it. And it's just working in microbiology, working in bovine immunology, all these things kind of contribute to uh, getting uh, the PhD. And that is the case with pretty much every student. They'll have something in their pocket that makes them more suitable uh, than perhaps other people. That's not to say that every PhD student knows everything going in. In fact, that is utterly the opposite. Uh, you, mm -hmm. I can guarantee you that you probably know nothing going in. Um, but it's the aptitude that they're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, that's why I'm here. And it's super interesting. Tuberculosis is... I get this sometimes from my family, um, you know, didn't we cure tuberculosis, you know, 100 years ago or something like that. Um, so 2018, tuberculosis killed approximately 1.8 million people. Um, Whoa, uh, what, what, what? Maybe I have a very, very little point of uh, uh, reflection. How I just came out of my head. I, I have very little to relate this to. I just, I don't know all the numbers. How does that relate to the other numbers? It's uh, at the time, yeah. At the time, it was the tenth leading cause of death, I believe, in two thousand eighteen. Uh, that's all deaths: wow. cancer, car crashes, whatever. Um, wow, wow. So yeah, it's uh, it's obviously not nearly as devastating as COVID is at the moment, but um, tuberculosis is and shall continue to be uh, a major killer um, uh, worldwide. The reason that people don't know about it um, is that it's quite specific to developing countries. Um, so that's a common problem that if it's not, uh, you know, infecting rich Western uh, societies, it tends to get ignored. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's 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 devastating. And um, if you want, I can tell you a bit of a horror story about it. Um, yes, please. <laughs> so uh, this relates to, I suppose, something that's happened recently. So obviously, we're all aware that the Omicron variant has emerged, and mm -hmm. there is. Um, I haven't looked at this now in a couple of days, but there's hypotheses of where it came from and one of these is that it may have come from an AIDS patient uh, maybe one um, and the issue there is that because uh, people with AIDS have an inability to clear a disease uh, COVID was uh, sustaining itself in um, this individual and essentially evolved to a point that it was vaccine uh, evasive. Mm -hmm. um, this is not dissimilar to how tuberculosis works 
tuberculosis evolves to uh, quite quickly um, to evade our antibiotics, uh, which we've been using heavily uh, to uh, treat it uh, for uh, decades and decades since we've really had them. And what we're starting to see now is MDR and XDR strains, which are uh, multi-drug resistant or extensively drug resistant. And we are coming close to a point where you or I, uh, both in Western societies, may start coughing um, and feeling quite poorly, go to a doctor, get diagnosed with uh, tuberculosis and told that uh, it's a totally drug resistant strain, which means uh, we will die. There's, there's no treatment. There's nothing that can be done. Uh, it will be just as it was you know, centuries ago, where you get the, quote, consumption and your days are numbered. Um, and we are heading into that, uh, you know, brute forcing it, I suppose. We're heading into this uh, potentially very scary future. So and can I ask questions? Can I ask questions? I know you were telling the story, but uh, I think I'll, for, I'll forget some, some things. So in terms of... Um, in terms of the immunity of, tu of tuberculosis, is this related in anyhow to the fact uh, that we were trying to treat it with things? Like, is that, what is the real me mechanics be behind this? Like, why why is it getting to this point? Maybe you were gonna say that, but uh, I just wanted to ask in case. Of course, no. So if you if you can imagine our evolution, our generational step um, is, you know, 20 to 30 years. I, I don't know what the average is, but that's when we have a kid. So that's the, you know, the, the step, the next step in evolution is our offspring. Um, <laughs> and, but their generation time is much, much faster. They're quite slow in general, but uh, I should know off the top of my head what it is now, but um, it's a couple of weeks. Um, so they have a much um, quicker rate of evolution and mm -hmm. evolution is always driven by the environment. And if you can imagine, if its environment is uh, constantly being, um, uh, if they're constantly being exposed to an antibiotic and killed off by it, uh, very exactly. quickly, they'll, they'll start to replicate to a point where they're actually able to get past their environment. And if that one who's evolved that resistance is now totally resistant to the antibiotic, that one, that single bacteria now becomes the entire population in an individual, in a niche, in an environment, etc. Of so course, yeah. and, that, and that can happen very very quickly so going back to aids patients um they uh unfortunately will have to be constantly treated um with antibiotics uh because they can't shed the disease themselves they can't get rid of it so that gives them this environment where they can evolve consistently um to uh resist the antibiotic and as a result, that then very resistant um, strain of the bacteria can be spread to other people because uh, tuberculosis is incredibly infectious. It's only a single um, bacteria that can actually uh, cause you to get tuberculosis. So uh, unlike COVID, you need quite a large viral load with tuberculosis. It's a single one. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we're getting. That's how we're getting to this place. Um, that's quite scary. So basically, exactly what I suspected. So the fact that we are. Uh, we're kind of overusing antibiotics, although it's not really fair to say overusing. Uh, no, we are. We are definitely we are overusing. So with the AIDS patients, there's nothing that you can do. They should get all the treatment that they can. Uh, but we overuse antibiotics everywhere, and no more do we use antibiotics than in um, the in agriculture. Uh, we just pump domestic animals with them. Um, so yes, in general, even ex just not just tuberculosis, we are oh completely using, overusing antibiotics. And it's going to be a, a major global threat um, if it continues as it is. And 
the, the one of the large issues with that is um, no, well, most pharmaceutical companies don't want to research a new antibiotic um, because A, it costs a lot of money. B, it might not, uh, they might not see any results from it. The antibiotic that they synthesize might not be effective. And C, uh, they can't use it until the current line um, is now ineffective. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I suppose D, eventually that antibiotic will also become obsolete. So nobody wants to do it because it's just a huge money sink. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of stagnating in this at the moment. Wow. Um, to give me a more, this, this is, my God, this is a scary topic and it's so important. And, uh, like, I want to, I want to get my thoughts together. So this is like, from this, you can go on to so many tangents about our system and what is wrong about it. Right. Uh, but do you, so this is this information that you're telling me uh, with the, the threat of antibiotics, this has been, I've been told this in secondary school. Right. So I've, I've known about this for a long, long time. A lot of people have known about this, but the fact that we don't have a body that exists in our system externally to capitalism. And look, I've, capitalism is amazing, but it really is very high risk when you don't have a reliable referee, you know, or, or something that is kind of like a like a security level. Uh, which takes care of problems where uh, exactly what you just explained, where it's not really cost effective to do it, but nobody really seems to seems to be doing it. What do you think, like as as world emperor, if let's say that you you become world emperor, how would you solve it? But you still have to work with the systems that we have right now. Uh, well, as world emperor, I would um, annihilate capitalism and introduce uh, democratic socialism worldwide, um, because that would fix the problem. Um, because uh, your your referees are for the most part corrupt uh, under a capitalist I, state, I feel yes um, sorry but can i give a point of information on that right so sure. i lobbying is a, is my, my biggest problem with the world uh, it really is and it's the source of the problems that we have in terms of the vaccine campaign etc uh, in reality in my opinion and that's a very complicated subject but let's not go sure. on that tangent right now but lobbying is a, a I hate lobbying. Lobbying is, is is a really really big problem. But why do, why because capitalism has one serious problem? Do you want to kind of take? It's like your your app has a bug, so you kind of like you uninstall your app. Would you not just fix the bug, or is so, it impossible in your eyes? Well, that that runs under the assumption that uh, it capitalism contains one bug. Um, it doesn't. Mm. It, it, of it, course, it, it contains loads. I agree. Yeah. Um, and I think the the and I I should say that there are varying degrees of capitalism. Ireland is a capitalist state, um, but it's a capitalism uh, that I can almost stomach. Whereas you look at America, and it's capitalism just gone completely awry. Um, so I mean, if it would work, uh, I like it. Um, but capitalism runs runs. We're going completely off tangent here, but um, <laughs> it's fun. Continue. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should say that one of my so I don't watch reality TV, but um, my reality TV is American politics because it's fascinating. It's it's such. Um, can I swear on this podcast? Of course you fucking can. Yeah, great. It's absolute <laughs> shit show. It's a complete shit show. It's it's fascinating from that perspective. I'm very sad, unfortunately. Um, so capitalism runs under this premise that everybody has equal opportunity, but that's just categorically incorrect. Um, and there are just so many examples of that. So um, I don't think that it's, um, 
I think that capitalism, if we're talking about a bug and fixing it, it's like the uh, Final Fantasy 14 or 15, uh, 14, I think, was an online game that when it was released, it was so terrible, they just completely dismantled it and rebuilt it from scratch. And now it's excellent. I think we're kind of in the same place with capitalism where um, it's so broken now, um, it, it, particularly in some parts of the world. Uh, that I just I don't think that you can fix all of the bugs and uh, maintain a healthy and happy populace. Um, and I think COVID and the pandemic has made that uh, to me crystal clear. Um, because I was very pro-capitalism. I was very um, you know socialist leaving uh, leaning uh, definitely leftist. But um, over the past not only two years but maybe three or four, uh, the emergence of people like Bezos and Musk and all that. Um, has shown me that uh, the system simply doesn't work. And bringing us back to fixing the antibiotic issue, you can fix this problem with antibiotics and make less money, or you cannot fix it and continue to make money. And I think under strict capitalist regime, it's always going to be the latter. Um, it's always going to be making money. So I have a couple of points of information. Uh, <laughs> let me just r run through them. First of all, and the final one where you said that uh yeah you, you kind of it seems that you came to your conclusion right so that that is with capitalism you will never be able to get around this all i would say maybe maybe not uh and then sure. to to come back to your to the first thing that you said which was very interesting is actually a very uh, philosophical debate uh about equal opportunity uh, and we can talk about uh because th this is so interesting and this is something i've thought about at length myself i can't say that i have a conclusion because uh, it's really a uh, subjective and, and uh, philosophical argument, which is like, okay, every, you're saying everyone should have equal opportunity, right? Um, but you're not taking into account the fact that you, you, can, you can think of an individual as an individual, or you can think of an individual as the child of their parents. And if, if the parents decide, right, that they would like to basically transfer the work that they've done in their life, and put that onto, onto their children and give them unfair advantages within capitalism, if, if you if you come, come in with a stance that everyone should have equal opportunity, you're kind of against that, right? So in my opinion, like I'm, uh, I would say my, my number one uh, value, actually recently, recently was just posting about this. I really think my number one value is freedom, qu quickly followed by personal responsibility because you need both of them. Uh, but I think that if you are, if you, as a as a parent, you you have like two million, and uh, you want to set up your uh, set up your child and give them unfair opportunity, unfair advantages, I think that should be allowed, in my opinion. Do you disagree with this? Well, um, it, it's a it's a it's sort of a disparate uh, premise. I don't have uh, any problem um, with people accruing wealth and using that wealth um, to give their child all the possible advantages and opportunity. Uh, what I disagree with is that that wealth can do that and that the system that that wealth is being implemented in is already stacked against um, other people of that society. I can give you an example. Um, okay. I, I will be referencing a lot um, uh, towards America just because that's what I know uh, better, uh, kind of embarrassingly more than I know Irish politics. Um, mm -hmm. So what is the, if I can ask you a question, what is the... Yes. Uh, the, the best way or one of the best methods of accruing wealth in uh, America? Um, 
maybe real estate, maybe stock investing, maybe uh, uh, hedge funds. It's, it's it, it includes all of those. Uh, it's inheritance. Mm -hmm. Inheritance. Oh, well, that, that's where, right. yeah. Trick question. Huh? <laughs> to an extent, but that's. Yeah. I should maybe have rephrased that and said, "What is the greatest source of individual individual wealth?" Um. So if we just take that alone, um, and where you make a good point that you, people can use their wealth, um, to help uh, their children and give them the best possible uh, opportunity, what you have is a lot of people that have had uh, centuries of inheritance, uh, because they've owned land. Uh, for centuries, but the um, the uh, uh, African American population of America have only been able to own land for um, a few generations, and even then, there were uh, Jim Crow laws to prevent uh, the acquisition acquisition of land um, by uh, African American families. So their level of inheritance is absolutely nowhere close uh, to white families. For sure, and, for and sure. That was, I agree. That was, Agreed. for a long time uh, on purpose so when you it's say very, I, yeah it's very racist anyway continue i mean yeah absolutely so when you say that you let's uh, not have a problem about families giving their money uh, to children to give them the best opportunity in theory i don't disagree with that it's just i wish that all families had an equal opportunity to do this um but that simply is not the case and it's based on um a cultural, a cultural construct, uh, which is race, because race doesn't really exist in biology. It absolutely exists um, in society. Um, and that's why I think from that, just that one, there's so many more, but just from that mm -hmm. uh, position. Yeah, I, I want to talk about all of them. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Continue. So yeah, I just, I, I, it's, it's not an even playing field and um, it's designed to be that way. And it is honestly uh, only getting worse. Um, the emergence of the ultra billionaires um, is, to me, uh, disgusting. I cannot stand any of them. Um, the, I think probably the only one that I have any support for is um, Jeff Bezos. Bill Gates. Oh, uh, Jeff Bezos. No, okay. <laughs> no, no, not no, 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 not Bill Gates. Uh, definitely not, and absolutely not oh, Jeff Bezos. Um, Jeff Bezos' is ex-wife uh, and and Andrew McKenzie. I can't remember her yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, the one that's giving um, the money to charity. Who is giving? more money uh, she's make she can't give it away quick enough she's making so much um you know it her philanthropic efforts um are uh, admirable they're not perfect um but she seems to be one of the few that is actually trying her best to give her money away to improve the world around her uh that is absolutely not the case with any of the rest of them uh, Bill oh, Gates, point of instance. information i have a very strong point of information against that very very strong i don't know if you're aware of this do you know of the gift and pledge uh, yeah, I do. But let's see that oh, happen. You think it's yeah. bullcrap? So what is it? 99% of their wealth, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Warren Buffett. Warren, uh, well, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates started it, and there's a couple of hundred people on it. If there was an execution of one of these, uh, I don't know if these are like legal agreements or whatever, whether there was an actual execution that happened, I don't know. But if it did, does it change your mind? Uh, no, and I can tell you why. Um, so, uh, first of all, I don't think it'll happen. Um, but even if it does, uh, I wasn't going to talk about this today, but I suppose we got there. Um, so, I think if you become a billionaire, uh, you're pretty much morally bankrupt. I know that's a harsh position to take, but I think if you allow your wealth to accrue to a point where you are sitting on billions upon billions and billions of dollars, Something, but they're not sitting on them. Uh, well, they are. Do you know? I know it's not. 
I know it's not liquid, I understand, yeah. um, mm -hmm. but they have the ability to liquefy it without damaging uh, their sort of asset generation. Um, if I, I, I think that you should get to 999 uh, million and you get a sticker yeah, that says, well done, you, you, you won life. <laughs> and now everything else mm -hmm. is given to people who need it. Um, so uh, it doesn't, if they do end up giving all their money away, and again, I don't think they will, um, it doesn't absolve them of all of the damage they've done by not giving it away in the first place. And a very easy example. Okay. Uh, can, uh, you want to, you I'll give you, the, I'll give you this one, one example. So uh, uh, Adrian Hill, was, who I've met before, uh, was uh, a pivotal team member um, in creating the AstraZeneca vaccine um, and uh, at Oxford. And you may have heard this, but they wanted to make the formula and the manufacturing process for that vaccine open source. And it was Bill Gates that stepped in and said that there is an equilibrium of intellectual property. We shouldn't upset that equilibrium and you should monetize it. And it was sold to AstraZeneca. I don't care Ooh. if Bill that, Gates. Oh, that, that's a bad one. <laughs> I don't care if Bill Gates gives every cent of his money away tomorrow, which he's never going to do. Um, it doesn't absolve him from, and this is just one thing, it doesn't absolve him from that thing. Um, and it doesn't matter how much they give away. Uh, it doesn't absolve them from what they what, what what they what damage they've caused by keeping that money anyway that's it i have a very strong point of information against that yeah uh, i think but this thing about bill gates crazy holy crap uh, like again i don't know it's very hard you know to to just take what people like obviously i trust you but it's, it's just everybody tells me so many things you know it's very difficult to it's too much information to even take in you know uh but very interesting but I have a very strong point of information against that. So I want to talk about Warren Buffett. Uh, do you know Warren Buffett? Yeah, I know him a bit. Yeah, I probably know him less than the others. Yeah, so Warren Buffett is a, is an investor. He's been an investor since, oh, I think, like the 40s or the 50s. He's a very old guy. He's in his 90s. Uh, he's a, like, if you watch interviews with him or you talk to him, he's uh, he really comes off, at least. Uh, you can always say anybody's evil behind closed doors, but I don't think that means anything. He definitely comes off as, like, the, the the nicest sweetest person ever who's very good Definitely. at business and cares a lot about other people and this is back when he was around 20 or 30 that him and his wife created a strategy where it's like okay warren buffett said i believe though no, i'm so I'm, such, I'm so good at this investing stuff i'm so good at this business stuff and he's really is one of a kind um that i believe that by the end of my life, if I invest, if I, if I work at Berkshire Hathaway and I, and I grow my wealth, um, I will be able to accumulate X amount of money. I don't think he ever predicted to make as much money as he actually did because he has nearly 100 billion. But then the plan that him and his wife made where it's like, when we finish, we want to pick five charities to give it away to. And actually one of them is Bill Gates Foundation, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, whatever you may think of that. Um, and basically, I'm, so basically yeah, it's, the argument- It's good, that, yeah, it's good. The, the argument is the argument is that you are you are saying it's like oh it doesn't absolve them because they should have given away the money first but there's a couple of problems with that one is it so easy to just give away give money away and solve a problem i would question that and two what if warren buffett can give a hundred billion in 40 years if he doesn't give any anything away originally or he could give away 2 million 40 years earlier so is he would it, I think he, according to your argument, he could even be like more morally wrong if he doesn't make the money because if he knows he can make the money, he can help more in the future. 
what do you think about that no I, I see what you mean so the fact that he didn't give any money away now means that he was able to use that money to accrue more wealth and thus give yes. more later that okay yes. that, i mean that's that's a reasonable um uh point and mm -hmm. i might eat my hat on that one um I'll, I'll address your first point uh first is it how easy is it to give away that money uh, how easy was it to make it uh like how much of Difficult. gary v's time has he spent making this money um I could he not <laughs> yeah i mean it's gary v of course he has um uh you know surely that amount of effort and drive um, can be if you can help the world if you have enough money as Bezos does to end world hunger how many times over could you not start um, investing your time and energy uh, towards um, giving your money away uh, even to like a similar or half the effort that you did making it um, so it's not very easy but you have a responsibility as one of the Do richest you? people in the world Do you? Uh, this is a big question. This is like this is you, the question of questions. Uh, we can get uh, you do as long as you're not morally bankrupt. And this brings us into the second point, which is okay. Maybe they could save the, use their money to accrue wealth so they could give more later. Well, that means that we have to trust that they will do that. Have they done anything to garner that trust from us? I mean, Musk who I probably have the most issue with, um, has given less than 0.1% of his wealth away. How are we to trust that he will give 99% of it? Warren Buffett, who has given, I think, you know, uh, 5 billion, something like that. I mean, he's worth much, much more than that, but he's at least given uh, more away of it. Warren Buffett is at the twilight of his life, and I don't see much motivation for him to actually disseminate his wealth. I haven't seen dissemination of 99% um, of any billionaire's wealth. So we're just to trust these people that, hey, they're going to save us when it, at the end of the day. Look, you're in conservation. You're in climate change. They could save us now. This is the time to do it. We are literally heading into the end of the world era, and they're, they're using their money to make more wealth. So no, I, I, it doesn't absolve them. I think they'll I keep it and they'll continue to keep it and they'll die with it that's you that's, that's, that's what they've told us that's what they've shown us they will do you created like when you were saying this you created like point of information number one point of information number two point of information number three i can't i can't even do all of them but uh there's one i really want to discuss and this is a this we're now we're now in philosophy so why is it that you believe that there's the responsibility of jeff bezos to help anybody why well, if he if he only lives for himself, and you're a, you're a biologist, you're a biologist, and you know how evolution works. In evolution, we are a species where every individual prioritizes themselves. Don't nope. you think so? Oh, nope. you that's disagree? Wrong. No, that's wrong. Okay. Um, uh, sorry, that is categorically incorrect. We only got here because of cooperation, and our social our social structure is based entirely on empathy and helping those that are weaker than us. That's how we got here. That's how all of this exists. Okay, we so how about how about uh, Spain colonizing uh, Southern America? Or how about humans that killed off Neanderthals? Uh, how about we have been at war forever, fighting each other? Uh, you, you don't put any value on that? I'm not no. saying this is good, and I'm not saying I'm happy about it. I'm just you know, putting information out there, you know? So uh, competition for resources is obviously a part of our evolution as well. But we are outside our evolution now. And the, uh, the, the Conquistador campaign does not justify Jeff Bezos uh, not spending any money on climate change. 
uh, his incentive. Uh, but this, I'm not justifying. I'm just, okay. Sorry, I'll let I you. No, no, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't think one in, informs the other. And I should say that Jeff Bezos's incentive for being a good person and saving the Earth. Well, first, being a good person. Second, he is on this planet. This planet is the planet that his children will occupy. I think there is an enormous incentive for him to try and use his money to save it. He is looking inwardly only. And I think he needs to start looking outwardly for any, if anyone but himself, let alone his own family. So yes, I think he and every other billionaire, white male billionaire, uh, well, no, it's not just them, but every billionaire has um, a huge incentive, if not just self-preservation to save the planet that we are on. And the, our evolution and the, the horrors of the past do not absolve them uh, from serving only themselves. Okay, and I, I've, I've, this will be very interesting. Okay, so in my opinion, Tesla is the is literally solving climate change more than anybody else. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm very open to being wrong. And I would I would like to hear you know why you disagree with that. I have a very deep understanding of Tesla and what they're doing, uh, and I believe Tesla is miles ahead of any charity of any other company or any goddamn government in, in solving climate change. Miles ahead. So can you tell me why I'm wrong? I, 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 I'm not saying you are. Um, I don't have a problem with the, uh, Tesla. Um, Tesla, and you, I don't know what the metrics are. You may very well be right that the, the contribution that Tesla's making with electric cars to fighting climate change might outweigh anything else. That may be true. I honestly don't know. Not, I, not I, just electric cars. That's just Electric cars are just the beginning. Yeah, but honestly, I don't have a single problem uh, with that. And if that is uh, Musk's direction for it, um, if it was his sole direction for it, uh, then hats off. Great. Um, I'll say a few things about that, though. One, mm -hmm. that's not his priority. His priority is making money. And that is that. Well, that's how do you know that? Because, okay, oh God, uh, first let me finish my previous point okay. um, about my non-issue with Tesla. Tesla mm -hmm. is full of amazing scientists, engineers, employees, uh, the, the best in the business. And I know that, that, is, that one of their major incentives, incentives is saving the planet that they're on. Mm -hmm. It is telling that the, um, the technological and innovative contributions to the vehicles and the technology uh, that they've developed has had all little to no input from Tesla, uh, from uh, uh, Musk. He may have directed them, um, which is great. You know, hats mm -hmm. off to him. That's a great idea. His act, but he's not this genius that's inventing this. He, he's made almost no. Oh, I know this. I know this. I With, wouldn't say no contribution, but I would say well, I was going to say that one little. of his contributions mm -hmm. is making his charging point monetary. Uh, because his charging point for his Tesla cars are not uh, compatible with other electric cars. That's correct, right? No, no, but this, this is exactly, he's doing the opposite of what you're saying. So what they're doing is they're basically, they're on their way to making it available for every car. That, and this is like, this is not a conspiracy. This is, this is public news. So it's the but, other but way. If that, if that is the case, then uh, I, have, uh, I have no problem with that. That, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of uh, Musk's incentive to make money, um, uh, oh God, it's endless. Um, so uh, obviously he doesn't want unionization. He, pay, he pays his employers, he, he empl employees, he says that he pays them a lot, but he's actually not paying them in comparison to other com companies, uh, a competitive wage. Point of he's information, says, point of I information. I've got to finish this. Um, his safety standards for his employees have only now just come up to the basic level of standard, even though that he said, basically, he, he's full of all of these uh, 
lovely uh, sentences or comments about how great everybody is, how great his company is. For instance, if his employees make a mistake, he will then go down to the factory floor, make that same mistake and see how he can change it. That's happened once ever. And it was a publicity stunt. He his tweets about Dogecoin is all about manipulating the <laughs> cryptocurrency market to try and increase his own wealth. I, do, I there's a great um, interview uh, where he's uh, talking about he's he's giving an interview about setting up this new factory. He's asked by the audience how much of the water in the current area will be consumed. He starts laughing at that person, asking him that question. Goes, it's fucking Germany. It rains. Like he doesn't really care about people. Like he's talking about going to space. Like he's trying to evade the fucking planet. He doesn't really care about you or anybody else. He cares about making that money. Now, if that eventually contributes to this huge incentive um, and change in the global technological market where we are now able to combat climate change using Musk's technology and company, then I will happily eat my hat and say, okay, he's done a great thing. I still think he's morally bankrupt because he's a billionaire. I'll never get past that. But great. That's, that's a good start. But if he was truly invested in fighting climate change, he would also donate money, not even climate change, but helping the world. He would donate money as well as make innovations in his own company. Remember that recent uh, tweet where uh, he said that if you'd show me how you would spend my money, I will give you money to solve world hunger. That was from the UN. Like, think about that from your perspective, Philip. I know you're a nice guy, so just think about I'm lovely. If you, if, if you have, <laughs> yeah, well, you are. That's why I came on. Mm -hmm. If you have over a hundred billion or whatever he has, why would you make you solving world hunger conditional? Just give them the fucking money. Even if half of it is spent erroneously, at least you gave two billion to fixing world hunger. Why would you make a big public show about it being conditional? And then I should say, not actually give the money when they met with him anyway. Anyway, I'm sure you got lots of points of information. I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I think, first of all, Tom, um, I have, I really enjoy and respect your opinion, right? And uh, yours too, of course. Yeah, although I am, I am an Elon, I, I am a big Elon fan. I'm also an Elon critic. <laughs> so, sure. I, I, and I have my own views. I, I'm, there, is, there, there does exist actually two cults. You have the, the, the anti Elon cult where everyone just hates him for everything. And then you have the pro Elon cult. Well, literally grown-ass men are genuinely in love with him like really in love with him and I, I know. <laughs> it's crazy you can watch him on Elon YouTube, Andes. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can go on youtube uh but i i've uh, you made loads of points and i there's a, a couple of points that uh, first of all i, I want to deal with the one where you were saying that the only thing that elon cares about uh is money um i would say that when you look at uh, his history and where when he, he sold zip2 he got about 20, 30 million. Then he sold PayPal. He got about 140 million. And at some point he had about 160 million. And he was, he literally, and this is, you know, you can always call, you can call conspiracy on everything. So I'm going to trust that you don't, you don't say it's a conspiracy, but basically he put in all of that money. He went broke. He was borrowing money. And there's many, many people say that when Tesla and SpaceX were nearly gone back from 2008. So I would say it's probably not about the money for him. Although I do see your point, and I, I think for Elon, it's not about the money. For Elon, it's about greatness. For Elon, it's about being the man, being the man, being the man of the of the solar system, being the human, being like just ego, just like ego, like number one ego ever in the world. And being Tony frankly, Stark. 
Literally. And do you know that he actually has Iron Man outside of his office? You know, yes, uh, know. Iron, yeah, yeah. Iron Man suit. You know that too. You read this book? You read, yeah, you read, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, you read yeah. that book? I read the book, yeah. So, so yeah. Look, look, I know, look, Elon, uh, <laughs> frankly, I still like him. <laughs> I still like him. I still like him. I genuinely don't care. I have no problem with egos. I have no problem with people trying to be the best person ever. I'm very much about freedom, and I, I think that his impact has been has been great. But so, so this is just one thing, and this again is very subjective. Nobody knows what Elon thinks. Uh, but the one thing where I think there's a, a fallacy in your arguments of billionaires, I think this is the most important point, is that you're saying that Elon doesn't want to give any of his money away, that's his morally wrong. Nearly all of his wealth, nearly all of it, is Tesla stock, right? And then there's more value to Tesla stock. Uh, there's actually a couple of points here. One, he might be wanting to hold Tesla stock because he believes it will increase. I believe it will increase. I believe Tesla will become a much, much greater company than it is today. It's already a massive company. I believe it will be by far the biggest company in the world one day. Maybe I'm wrong. So one reason could be the whole Warren Buffett argument I gave you. He might be waiting to have more money to contribute more. That's that's one argument. Another argument is, is the fact that if he was to sell any of that stock, he would dilute basically his uh, the amount of shares he has in Tesla, and he would start losing control of Tesla. And I don't think there's anything wrong with him wanting to control the company that he really sacrificed a lot for. So just I, I, I'm not I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just you know giving you other reasons that he might be holding on to onto the stock. All the stuff with crypto, all the stuff with tweets. Yes, the results show that he probably made a lot of money on Bitcoin. Even Tesla made lots of money on Bitcoin uh, with Dogecoin also. But it's also I don't think that's proof that he's money hungry. I think when you look at the, his history with PayPal, is it to sacrificing 160 million into um, into SpaceX and Tesla in 2008 when they nearly died. I think that means that he's probably not, not about the money. I think he is about the people, in my opinion, like, I could be wrong, but he's also very much about himself. And I think all this stuff that pisses you off about him and that pisses off a lot of people, I really think that's like, the ego coming true. And I think at this point, he doesn't care. Like, I, I think he, he could be who he wants to be. And frankly, I don't have a problem with that. So uh, that's kind of, what do you give an answer to that? What do you think of this? Opinion? I mean, a few things. Um, so yeah, I, I, I disagree entirely. Um, respectfully, of course, I think your point was very well made. Um, but I disagree entirely that he's off the people. Um, when you're saying that, I, I actually think that's a great point you bring up about um, he doesn't want to lose majority uh, uh, control of Tesla. Uh, mm -hmm. And thus, he doesn't want to sell stock. Uh, sell it anyway. Um, just sell it. Sell some of it. Sell one. He is selling some right now. He's selling he right now. To be taxed on it. And I'm holding my breath. I'm holding my breath to see what actually comes of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. he. It's a fallacy for him to say that uh, because I only own stock, you can't uh, tax me and my salary. That's not what corp the corporate tax argument is about. And he knows that. Um, that that's, a, that's a lie. And he's lying to appear um like well i can't do anything all i do is have stack corporate uh, tax uh, ex uh, goes beyond what you have in your bank account elon and you fucking know that man come on um no uh so yeah we'll see what comes of that and that's great but still sell it anyway um and give it uh like you're not a man of the people if of your 200 and whatever billion uh, fortune you've given less than 0.1 he obviously doesn't care uh, about anybody um and I, that extends outside his money, outside Tesla. He made many anti-COVID tweets, um, uh, it's even COVID conspiracy, uh, conspiratory tweets. That is uh, antithetical to of the people. That's uh, he, as you say, there are tons of Elon Andes, and they're going to listen to what he has to say. 
um, about COVID. So spreading misinformation about something that has killed, you know, over 5 million people um, is uh, the opposite of being for the people. It's almost being against the people. And that's because, as you say, Elon has an ego. He likes to be the center of attention and he'll say something inflammatory uh, that is even potentially damaging to people just so he can garner that attention. He is an overt narcissist, I believe. I, no, I don't want to psychoanalyze him because I don't know anything about him really. Um, but he, I, he's probably a big narcissist, so, but I, I don't I have mean, a problem with that <laughs> personally. But yeah, you know, I, I, agree I mean, I, I, I haven't <laughs> met him. I haven't met him, so there's, there's, there's no way I can really say. I wouldn't even say that about Trump, even though obviously he is that way. But yeah, 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 you know, it's I, I don't want to. I don't. Yeah, I don't want to jump to that. But and you're right. I don't know what he really thinks. And you, you may also be 100% correct, Philip, that he's waiting for a time where he can give more. But he has, in my opinion done nothing uh, to uh, gain my trust that that is actually what he's going to do. But you know what, Philip, I'll, I will text you the day that uh, I realize I'm wrong about this. And, you know, I'll, I'll happily yeah. send him a tweet congratulating him, you know, because yeah, uh, you know what, Philip, in the end, I don't care about being right. I care about uh, them using their money to help the world. That's what I care about. So I hope that if you're listening, Elon, you know, I hope you prove me wrong, mate. Yeah. Um, do you want to I, I want to give you a choice it's like we could keep going down this uh, this rabbit hole I, i'm really enjoying this rabbit hole uh but tell me i have two options we can talk about do you want to talk about research or do you want to for the last 30 minutes uh we can talk about your research or we can talk about um why because i i don't think we're finished on this why do you think that it's the responsibility of anybody to donate to anybody else uh, to be a good person, like whether you know, this is a, mor a morality debate. Because I'm very interested in this. I think uh, I definitely have a different view than you, right? And I I really enjoy talking to people who have different views than me because it's kind of like something happens. I hate talking to people with the exact same opinions. It's just kind of we repeat the same thing over and over again. So I think this is more educational, actually. Um, so let's, can we can we talk about morality? We can talk about your research next time. Yeah, for honor, let's do it. So, okay, we, there's the evolutionary argument, which frankly, we just kind of skimmed across. I think I think it's deeper. I think that the evolutionary argument is is very complicated. Uh, I think we are we are competitive creatures. Um, but aside from the evolutionary argument, ex give me your thesis as to why I'm a good person. If I for if I'm if I give money to the homeless person to a homeless person, does that make me a good person? Is it is it my responsibility to give money to a homeless person? I'm just wondering what do you think about that? Well that's just that's maybe take morality out of it. So um, you know, Jeff is yeah, Mr. Bezos is an American, I believe. Um yes. so uh, America is a developed country, has been for a long time. Um, it's developed uh, initially from slavery, uh, as many and colonization, well, of not course. colonization, but slavery. Of Most course. countries either had slave developed countries had slavery or uh, colonization or both. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, Jeff Bezos, whether he realizes or not, um, has benefited um, from that um, disequilibrium of uh, wealth um, from mm -hmm. the Western world, and I mean I hate the term Western world, but developed nation that has exploited. Uh, underdeveloped nations that are still developing. Mm -hmm. So if I was in his position and I had um, benefited from living in America, being a, well, I'm half white, but being, you know, a generally white um, individual that has made this huge empire, 
uh, I would feel that the redistribution, redistribution of my wealth um, in, uh, and this system instilled by Ronald Reagan, where it's supposed to be trickle down and it just stays at the top, um, I would feel that I should redistribute this wealth to other nations from the perspective of um, saving the world. And it's interesting that you have this take on it because right now, uh, China and India are going through their industrial revolution uh, long after we have already gone through ours. And as a result, they are two of the largest contributors uh, to greenhouse gases. You cannot stop them from doing this um, because they, they have to do this to get to the point that we are getting to, which is uh, sort of greener energy. But Bezos could, could actually use that money to supplement their industrial revolution, essentially accelerate it to the point where they become a green global power um, and actually significantly reduce the amount of greenhouse uh, gases that they're actually contributing to the environment. But that's not Bezos's plan. He'd rather put fucking factories in space. I mean, buddy, we'll all be dead by then. Uh, I, I really just don't see why you're not helping poor people get to our level and allowing them to develop their own green technology and you're 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 just going to fucking space it's asinine it's 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 just stupid so that's why i taking even morality out of it i think that there is an onus on him giving away his money rationality right so i have a couple of points to that number one uh you 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 took up a subject that i'm scared to talk about but it, it really triggers me which is china um so do you believe Jeff Bezos has more money than China? Uh, almost certainly not. No, <laughs> not nowhere not near. So no. if China, why why is it Jeff Bezos's responsibility to go to China, one of the richest empires in the world, an no. unethical empire, an unethical empire? That's, so is all of ours. <laughs> well, but yeah, sure. I, you could say we are all unethical. I, I'm talking about right now. As of right now, okay, so what, what's worse? The U.S., what's happening in the U.S., or Uyghurs being put in concentration camps in China? Do you know much about I mean, that? Yeah, of course, the Uyghur uh, mm -hmm. uh, internment, obviously. Um, I mean, I, I live with Chinese people, but um, yeah, yeah uh, Japanese in internment camps not that long ago. The uh, ICE and the children that were separated from their parents uh, in the camps only a couple of years ago. America still does stuff like this. Uh, they're still doing this. Um, many nations across the world were focused on China and Uyghurs, but this kind of um, immoral uh, segregation uh, is everywhere. That doesn't justify it. Don't get me wrong. What's happening yeah. over there is ethnic cleansing, and it's awful. But uh, that doesn't. My art. We're now getting back into sort of. Well, should the, should he help a bad guy? It's. I'm actually trying to exclude morality from it entirely. I'm mm -hmm. saying that they are producing an insane amount of greenhouse gases because they're going through an industrial revolution. Give them the money to accelerate this and make this green, and you'll actually preserve the planet by which of which we all live on. You can't just mm -hmm. wave your finger and tell them no. They've already mm -hmm. shown that they won't listen to that. And frankly, I kind of understand why. We we had the ability to do that, mainly because we colonized places like this. Britain uh, colonized India, and as a result, they uh, have always been catching up. And right now, they're going through what they need to get to a developed country, and we should help them get past this quicker so it doesn't ruin the earth for the rest of us. So, okay, China, not a great guy. America, not a great guy. Mm -hmm. India has its own problems, too. They're led by, you know, a 
essentially a religious oligarchy at this stage. So, but mm -hmm. that doesn't matter, you know. Okay. We're, we're, we might all die before we work out these problems anyway. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think Bezos should help them. I think Bezos should help Africa. I think Bezos should help absolutely everybody that needs it because he has hundreds of billions of dollars. Even if he lives to a million, he's probably never going to spend all the money he makes. So just fucking help people, you know, regardless oh, yeah. of what their country is doing. And use your money to help the Uyghur problem. <laughs> like get them all, you know, out of there and find a nice little place for them and set up, you know, some kind of area where they can thrive, you know, like actually I think, if you're worried about that issue, help them, you know? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. I think uh, I would say that you're probably underestimating the power of China to prevent that. Uh, but the, okay, so let's keep morality out of it. You're right. I think uh, fuck morality in the, in in this conversation. Let's talk a rationality, right? So let's talk. And by the way, this is even more complex because the rationality of saving the world is not necessarily everybody's agenda. So that also has to be taken into account. And just the question of whether it should be someone's agenda or not, which is an even which is morality. So let's not go there. But let's just. I just want to debate you on the thing with China because China is far far more richer uh, than Jeff Bezos or Amazon. They, China is like, China is packed with you know, companies like Tencent, Alibaba, uh, what's the other one? They're the South, South Bank. They, they, uh, South Bank might be Japanese. I, I actually think it is Chinese, but they have, they, they funded the, the uh, what's the um, basketball league, uh, I can't believe I, NBL, NBL, American Basketball League. That's funded by China. Right, so basically, China is is even funding. You didn't know about that. You should really look into this. No, China I actually is, didn't. Know. China has China's fund in Africa. China is funding the development of Africa. I don't know if you knew about that using loans. So, well, okay, uh, but let me hold it, hold it, hold your write, write it down. I started writing down my POIs, but basically. China is much, much richer than Jeff Bezos. I don't think it's Jeff Bezos' responsibility to do anything for China. If China wanted to go renewable, they would go renewable. And they are trying to go renewable. They're just not, not doing it quickly enough, right? But they have many, they have people like, not as rich as Jeff Bezos, but also very, very rich. So in on this rationality point in terms of China, because let's just deal with China first, I don't think that makes sense. Do, do you see where I'm coming from? Like China is richer than Jeff. I mean, you're making a premise that a country doesn't need help if they're richer than an individual. I mean, every country is going to be, well, I, maybe, but I think every country is going to be richer than uh, Bezos. Um, I, I don't think... Not that, every, no, not everyone. May, maybe know not, you know, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So, <laughs> all right, then, that, that, let's make this easier. Just help the countries that are poorer than Jeff Bezos. Really, uh, my, my whole point was just to help a country that's producing uh, greenhouse gases and to get them past that. You don't have to pick China. I agree. There's a lot of money in China. You can pick any other country. You can pick just, you know, randomly point to a country in Africa, help them. You know, it's not really necessarily about China. It's about helping people who need that help that it, that also helps us. So, like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. Um, mm -hmm. One of the first things that we're going to see as a result of climate change is the emigration of over a billion people. Of course. And we, we talked about this two years ago. <laughs> yeah. So uh, w one thing that you see um, about where uh, people don't want to divert money, that no one ever talks about uh, the contribution of a country's uh, wealth and reducing that is to the uh, military industrial complex. The, as I see it, um, we're not diverting money to climate change. We're diverting money to deal with the issues that climate change is going to give us 
And I think that one thing I'm starting to see more and more, particularly in a country like America, but this is all over the place, is that they are building this military infrastructure that will prevent uh, this mass influx of refugee, uh, climate change For sure. refugees. For sure. I know this so, will happen. So... Do you not think it is a good idea for some of these billionaires to actually help the nations that are going to suffer from this so that those people can stay and thrive in their own home, uh, home nation? I mean, I have no problem with refugees, but mm -hmm. I'm sure they would rather stay in an affluent country of their own rather than mm -hmm. end up on American shores and get gunned down by this enormous military industrial complex that is built mm -hmm. primarily to protect a country that is consistently contributing to the crisis that we're all in. I think that that is a better use for their money. Of course, I could not agree more. I mean, like, dude, I am the last person, like, like my, my entire life is literally motivated by this, right? My yeah, entire life yeah. is to do something like to fight climate change as much as we can so that one day we can reduce the mitigate the, the the consequence of this as much as possible well i think you're making a mistake which is funny uh, two years ago you told me that i should not make this mistake which is that you, uh, you're generalizing so i really think you're generalizing billionaires i think you are you're taking them as a whole kind of a, a bucket and basically you're saying that they're all wrong because they're, uh, they're all doing this i think i think for example elon which is the one that you don't like the the most is actually the one example where i think his money will help those people more if it's kept if 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 it is if it if it so means that if he keeps uh, his wealth and that helps him control tesla more and let's say that money is invested back into tesla i genuinely and i'm not lying to you i genuinely think that that will have a higher probability of helping those refugees if Tesla succeeds to the level that it can than if he could do anything else. Frankly, could you give me an idea of what what could and should be done with, let's say, 10 billion? Let's say, like, Jeff Bezos actually has a climate change grant of 10 billion a year. I don't know if you knew that, but he has a he has started a climate change grant, I think, one or two years ago. He's put in 10 billion into, into climate change. And there's you, you, you can apply for this, right? I think we're, we're planning to apply. Uh, to get a bit of that funding as well so question is okay you got all the money what how, what do you solve and frankly tom i study this a lot this is my this is my full-time job climate change fighting we do research articles on climate change i know quite well about all the different kind of ways that climate change is being caused and it's very it, finding solutions is bloody hard what do you suggest Buses. Buses. Mm -hmm. So um, America has a massive. Uh, yep, America has a massive issue mm -hmm. uh, with. Um, so I'm talking about America specifically now. Has a massive issue um, with uh, public transport infrastructure. Uh, this was because there was this massive drive to increase the motor industry and motor manufacturing motor manufacturing uh, industry in America. I think in the 50s. I might be wrong about that. Someone can correct me. Um, so as a result, um, there are many people that are literally unable to get a bus uh, to work. Um, and as I'm sure you're aware, public transportation, many people in one vehicle, particularly new age, um, uh, even hybrid buses, has an enormous impact on um, the amount of uh, emissions a country will produce. Uh, let's say two people in a bus compared to two people in a car, or sorry, 20 people in a bus compared to two, uh, 20 people in uh, 10 cars. So Elon Musk, with that amount of money, can um, implement a free 
bus infrastructure in America, which even if he can make it electric, that would even be better, which would vastly cut the amount of emissions that the motor industry uh, creates in America. That is one that you could do in a year off the bat. Second thing, second thing. So I have a, I have a point for that one. But second thing, um, isn't he trying to develop a prototype for a form of monorail uh, in the States? Uh, he doesn't do much on that. It's just an idea. I'm I'm not a fan of the. I'm just I'm a critic of this project actually. So yeah, I, so, I, I, so I don't agree I. with it at all. Because, <laughs> because America, yeah. America and uh, China started building or uh, had an idea to build um, a rail infrastructure at the same time. China has built now uh, seventy thousand miles of track. America has done nothing, not a single thing. And a big part of that is that the contract the contract was essentially given to Elon Musk to develop this uh, rail system uh, that would increase the public transport infrastructure in the States and thereby reduce emissions. He has done nothing, not a single thing. Whereas China, like I said, has built 70,000 kilometers or miles of uh, railway track. And we know very clearly that this kind of um, public infrastructure can re vastly reduce emissions. So those are two things that he could do. And one of them, he's actually purposefully stifling. So yeah, there you go. What, what, is, it, what, is, what is he pur purposely stifling? Well, he hasn't uh, developed anything for it yet. And I think America, now I'm not entirely well, sure. I mean, but I, I just, just want to say against that one. I mean, like, sure. It's it's easy to criticize. It's hard to do this. I don't I don't think this is easy. Is like the the, the what's it called hyperloop? Like the hyper. I, he's not even. He's barely yeah, working yeah. on the hyperloop. You know. So my my point would be like you know demand is already working on really a lot of things. Uh, so that would be one point. But I have a very interesting point for your buses. Um, so do you know much about full self driving? And uh, no. Okay. So this is a, rather than me just telling you here. I think. I would really highly recommend, maybe we can talk on, a, on another podcast about this if we remember, um, the impact that full self-driving uh, with electric Tesla vehicles will have on the problem that you're describing with buses is going to be even better than what you said with buses. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think I would like for you to just research it yourself rather than, rather than say, uh, what, what I, you know, just take my word for granted. But I think in terms of the, the bus is a great idea, by the way, uh, but full self-driving of a, a, with Teslas at scale will potentially solve all of transportation, all of it. I believe so. If you want to learn about it and tell me how I'm wrong, I would gladly hear it because I, I want to know when I'm wrong. I can tell you now. I yeah. Oh, oh, great. Tell me. Are they giving us these Teslas for free? Because the bus service would be. Well, the thing is, they will be extremely cheap. Because Are they free? They, Are well, they free? They, they, they well they will be basically cents on the it'll be like a, it'll be cheaper than an uber how how cheap do you want it like does someone they the employees still need to get paid no. yeah okay if it's a free service that can run as That's efficiently but well, very very well cheaper than an uber so is an is an uber too expensive like it, it will it will be basically like i mean if you have full self if you're if you're if you're so if you're a nurse on a minimum wage uh, or someone running two jobs, then absolutely an Uber is far more expensive than a bus. That's free. Mm -hmm. The whole point is that it's free infrastructure for people to get to their jobs. If he provides this completely free for everyone and everyone is using these electric cars, I don't know. I I, I don't know the numbers. I'm sure you do. Uh, 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 all electric cars versus. Um, actually, no, because my point was is that he could develop electric buses, so it still doesn't even get, count the issue. I'm saying that... That is the was, plan, though. Well, if it is, 
If it is, and it's going to be free, and it's going to replace all motor vehicles, great, that sounds awesome. But frankly, a much more achievable goal is to implement a free electric bus service for everyone in the States that allows them to get where they're going for free so that they can work and they can do it quickly. Some people need to travel two, three hours in buses just to get where they're going. It's impossible. They actually need to drive. So my point, yeah, so I, okay, this system might work and I will, Philip, for the benefit of this, I will look it up and see what I think mm -hmm. of it. But unless it's free, uh, it, it, I still don't think it's better than my idea. Okay, so what if it's 10 euro for me to go from Barcelona where I'm at now to Berlin? Is that is that cheap enough? <laughs> um, uh, sure, yeah. Let's say. Yeah. Well, let's hope it happens. So, like, okay. So, by the way, so we're nearly we're nearly finished today. I want to tell you, it, it's ironic. Uh, I think I, I get I get I get all your opinions. I get them, and I really see where you're coming from. And it's funny. I think that the one person I really think you're wrong on is Elon Musk. The one person I know he's a narcissist. I know he's a bit of an asshole. I, all of that I completely agree with. I still think that he is doing a lot for climate change, and maybe. Okay, maybe now it seems oh fucking expensive Teslas only for the rich, yada yada yada. But this is like when you look at the the business plan of Tesla, they knew that this will happen, and they consistently try to make cheaper cars. Not because, and he he said this again. You can say that he's lying, but he's this is literally he said in in a video. It's like it's not that he hates people who can't afford, uh, you know, the the cheapest Tesla. It's just that they really have not gone to the point yet where they can make the twenty five thousand dollar Tesla. But this is a plan. And that is as cheap. I don't think it's possible for them to make uh, the Tesla even cheaper. And the great thing is that when you when full self driving robo taxis, uh, and again, if it happens, if technologically they can get there, um, you'll be able to even rent out your Tesla so that it works and it works as an Uber for very for you know as cheap as the as the as the market allows for it and helps uh, other people uh, to use it. So I think if that works, <laughs> it'll be funny. Like I, I really think you're you're right in general with your consensus in a lot of cases, but. Elon might be like a, a really kind of opposing example if uh, if it works out with Tesla. I, I, Philip, I, I, I hope you're right. I hope you prove me wrong. And um, honestly, I, I truly hope for that. Awesome. Well, I think this was a very interesting uh, podcast. Um, next one that we do, we could definitely go deeper into tuberculosis uh, and, and genetics. Sure. It's an incredible topic. But thank you so much for, for giving me nearly 90 minutes of your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I really love talking to someone who has different views. It was really, really a lot of fun for me and educational. Um, so, yeah. So that's it, Tom. Uh, been a pleasure. And we'll talk soon. Ciao. Thank you so much. It's really good to, uh, to, to be on here and happy to do it again. Yeah. Thank you. All right. See you, Tom.